month of March saw not only March Madness, but the enthronement of two key figures in the Christian world. One you are very aware of, I'm sure, Francis, the Bishop of Rome and Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. I've been fascinated and saddened by the commentary in the news and on the internet. So many people have projected onto this poor man, Francis, their own ideas of what he should be about, and they have judged him by subjective standards. The traditionalist Catholics have raged against this new Pope by not wearing the red slippers of Pope's past, by not wearing the correct color Mosetta, the shoulder cape. They know it is clearly obvious that Francis is out to destroy the tradition of the church. By his not chanting the liturgy, by his washing the feet of a female on Monday, Thursday, by his lack of the use of incense at his services, they are sure Pope Francis wants nothing else than to destroy the Catholic Church. These traditionalists are certain that Pope Francis is not a real, true Catholic, and he is a person whom they cannot abide. On the other hand, progressive Catholics see Francis as a savior, the savior of the Catholic Church, as a person who will begin to ordain women in the priesthood, as one who will embrace same-gender marriages, as one who will do away with all the trappings and so-called archaic thinking of the past. So Pope Francis, within two weeks of his enthronement, has been hailed both as savior and destroyer of his church. Now, with all the media attention on Pope Benedict's unheard of resignation and with the ascension of Francis to the throne and chair of Peter, another key leader in the Christian world has flown under the radar of the mainstream media. We might not even be aware of him. The man's name is Justin Welby. He's 105th Archbishop of Canterbury and the leader of the third largest group of Christians. It's a group of the Anglicans. He was enthroned on March 21st. He's our new spiritual head, first among equals, as it were. Now, Archbishop Welby has a very interesting background, unlike previous archbishops who have all been very monastic, academic, world-renowned theologians. Archbishop Justin Welby comes to leadership having had a remarkable career in the world of business. Justin Welby was not raised in a religious household, and after his university, he entered into the oil and gas industry, where for 11 years he served as an executive in a very large oil exploration group based in London. While serving as treasurer with this oil exploration firm, Justin joined an Anglican church in London. He fell fast in love with Jesus. He fell fast in love with the idea of church. And he began even to discern a call to the priesthood. Shortly thereafter, Justin Welby left the oil and gas industry for the ministry and had what most would call a very fast-track career to the highest position in the Anglican church. Now, as you can guess, an oil and gas industryman obtaining the highest seat in the Church of England has caused much controversy as well, or as the English say, controversy. Some see him as lacking the depth, 
and the skills and the faith and the time to hold the Anglican Church together during a very, very troubled time. Conservatives see him as way too liberal, as one who will work to allow female bishops in the Church of England, as one who will seek to destroy the Anglican Church's traditions and relations with the rest of the Christian world. Progressives think Welby is a knuckle-dragging evangelical who seeks to crush progressive causes like women bishops and allowing same-gender marriages and other traditional moral teachings of the Anglican Church. Both conservatives and progressives alike are furious at his enthronement. So if you've been paying close attention to the news and if you've been listening to the words these men have been speaking, you're going to find two Christians who are not who anybody thinks they are. You will find two Christians that disappoint and let down most who have their own ideas of what these two men should be about. So now if what I propose is true about these two new leaders in the Christian world, that they are not who most people think they are, imagine for a moment the wrong ideas people had about who Jesus was and what Jesus was about. Now if you keep up with the daily office at home or if you've been coming to the weekday services at our parish or reading your Bible, following along in the lectionary, This past week, you will have seen a week full of stories where people have got the wrong idea about who Jesus was and is. So much so that they cannot even recognize Jesus risen from the grave when Jesus stands in their midst. If you will have read the offices, you will have found a disciple named Cleopas walking with a friend on the road to Emmaus, traveling, as it were, with Jesus. Jesus joins them, walks with them, talks with them, and they don't even know it's Jesus that they speak with. If you've been praying in the weekly offices, you will have also found Jesus standing on the shore, yelling fishing tips to Peter and the disciples as they fish a few hundred yards off or a few hundred feet off the shore in their boats, unaware that it is Jesus who is the expert on locating fish and giving them help. In both these instances, it's not until they enter into prayer and into the breaking of bread that they know, they understand Jesus in their midst. They see Jesus for who he is. And today we have Thomas. Thomas who, despite the witness of the apostles, we have seen Jesus rise. We have seen his side and his hands. Despite the testimony of his brothers and sisters whom he loves very much, Thomas refuses to believe. Thomas is no different than the others. Thomas has his own image of who Jesus is, what Jesus should be about, has his own idea about Jesus. Thomas expected certain things of him. Perhaps that Jesus would overthrow the government. Perhaps Thomas thought he would overthrow the rulers of Jerusalem. One thing is certain, though, one thing we know Thomas did not expect Jesus to rise from the dead body and soul. Thomas did not expect Jesus to do what he said he would do. Unless I see in his hands a print of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now Thomas is given a great gift that most of us are not given. 
Our Lord says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believing. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answers him, my Lord and my God. Thomas makes a confession in the risen Christ. Beloved in the Lord, we all, every one of us, have the tendency. We all, every one of us, have the ability to make Jesus into an image of someone who suits our particular wants and needs. We all, every one of us, to some degree or another, expect Jesus to be someone Jesus is not. Just as did Peter. Just as did Clopas. Just as Thomas did. We all make Jesus into something of our own image. We all expect Jesus to do our will to meet our needs. It's extremely important to remember. It is essential to understand this. That after Jesus rose from the dead, that those who walked with him, those who loved him, those who followed him, only recognized Jesus when they entered into prayer and into the breaking of bread. That is to say, these people only came to see Jesus for who Jesus truly was and is, Son of God raised from the dead. When they put away their own ideas, their own own expectations, their own opinions, and they entered into prayer. It was only when they said to God, Your will be done. Not my will. Could they see who Jesus was, why he came, and why he rose from the dead? Thy will be done, not my will. So let us understand and let us remember. It is only through prayer and through the breaking of bread to the Eucharist that we come to know God for who he really and truly is. If we are not careful, if we do not watch ourselves, take custody of our souls, we will end up making a Jesus that is recognizable to no one but our own mind. So let us be watchful. Let us be vigilant and take great care of our souls. Let us be careful not to look at Jesus, not to look at others, be they leaders of the Christian church or our neighbor, and say to ourselves, my will be done. Rather, brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, let us commit ourselves to a life of prayer, to a life of breaking bread, so that we may proclaim with our brother St. Thomas, my Lord and my God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.